from the past. I need new strength, she needs oil. I'm a blast from the past. We both need rest before we bore. But with a little bit of love, we'll make it to the church. Hey, I'm John Kane, and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Tuesday, November 12th. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. We don't do prayers and we don't do buffalo speeches. We take a tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity, and we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us, and we do it all right here from the Cataraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But first, let me remind people that our audio streams at www.letstalknative.com. We stream live video of the show on our Facebook group page or pages via Facebook Live. Our shows are available as podcasts on your favorite podcast platforms after our broadcast. And we take the video from our Facebook live stream and we post it up on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. Um, I'm the host and I'm assisted uh, by Jake Proud, who is managing our uh, our video and our sound. Um, Let me get into it. Um, Look. You people, uh, who knew, right? Who knew that you people has finally risen to the to the uh, uh, the level that most of us have recognized the use of this expression for, for years, but it's finally risen to the level where where somebody can not only be called out on it, but actually be fired for using it. Don Cherry, um, famous sportscaster on the Canadian side, uh, hockey tonight. I mean, look if you're if you have or have any familiarity with Canada, you know who Don Cherry is. Well, Don Cherry is a former uh, sportscaster at this point, and he was canned for going on a rant. Um, well, I guess let me back up. Yesterday was uh, um, Armistice Day in the UK. It's Remembrance Day in Canada, and in the United States, they call it Veterans Day. It's all the same thing. It's about romanticizing war. Well, Don Cherry... Um, took particular offense that everybody doesn't buy poppies to uh, to support veterans, uh, you know, and they're not even real poppies. I think they're these paper thing. I don't know anyway, these these little emblems anyway that you you donate you you buy them and and it, and it puts money towards some sort of veteran services or I guess that's what at least that's what it does on the U.S. side. I assume it does the same thing on the Canadian side. But Don Cherry goes on a rant and he basically says those who don't. I mean, he starts saying you people. You people won't put a put up a buck for a poppy, but you enjoy the milk and honey of Canada. I mean, so and he's basically talking about just the other, and the other could be anybody. It could be immigrants, it could be you know migrants, it could be people of color, um, or all of the above. Don Cherry is a uh, is an old white guy um, who you know because of his his age <laughs> uh, feels like he can get away with saying anything. You know, it's kind of like old people. You know, old people can speak what's on their mind. Yeah, but you don't get necessarily get a chance to do it on national television. Um, so anyway, Don Cherry got canned for uh, for doing his racist rant, where you know, and and again among the uh, the you know the vernacular to use is is this you people thing. Now, <laughs> you know, for for native people, 
that's a step up from being called dogs. I mean, uh, but but make no mistake about it. When when you hear a white man say "you people," he is referring to to anybody who's not white. And you know, and and he's not even talking about class or anything else. He's talking about anybody who's not white. And so that's what uh, what Dodd Cherry was talking about. But I got to tell you, and I, I did a post on Facebook today, and I'm, I'm going to reiterate some of that. I don't think people can appreciate how often Native people hear the "you people" line. I mean, you, you know, we've—I remember Archie Bunker <laughs> using that expression with the Jeffersons, right? I mean, you know, so you knew an Archie Bunker. He's talking about black people, right? But uh, and again fictitious character uh you know really kind of recounting real life experiences uh a great show i thought they exposed an awful lot um but you know you could you could laugh at at a buffoon like archie bunker but there are people i mean i have allies white allies the people who who listen to my shows here and in new york and in other places who still want to like characterize me or you know the people that i represent you know not that i claim to represent anybody as we're we're just too angry you people are too angry you people always want to play the race card you the whole you people thing we get hit with that constantly oh you people are always living in the past why don't you just put the past behind you get over it you people you people need to get over it I mean, we hear this thing constantly and nobody gets fired for saying stuff like that, that, that to us. And the crazy part is Don Cherry gets, gets, gets fired for using the expression you people. Um, even in the wake of Justin Trudeau being essentially reelected for all intents and purposes as prime minister of Canada, in spite of all the blackface stuff and everything else. So it's, I, again, I don't know how you weigh this, you know, weight, you know, racism. I, I don't know. How, I mean, and this is where I always come back to this to this whole. I mean, the fact is that racism is not a right thing or a left thing. It is a white thing, and and I know white people lose their mind every time I say it, but it 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 just is. I mean, and you know, and it, it kind of relates back, and 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 I and I've got to bring this up too. It, it relates back to even the stuff that I talked about on my last show about what the Senecas are going through with this you know, with this battle with the state. I mean. When you understand the privilege um, and, and, and how much is skewed towards white control, I mean, the laws, the, the enforcement of laws, the, the, you know, the creation of laws, so you know, to legislate, litigate, adjudicate, negotiate, all of that stuff. I mean, to, to, all of that stuff is being done by white people. And the rest of us are supposed to understand what they're talking about. And this isn't just about English. Because there's an awful lot of manipulation that happens. You know, again, what does you people mean? I mean, when you understand where this stuff comes from and, and what is loaded in the language, it is, you can't just, uh, you know, try to break down language literally. There's intent and there's inflection. There's all kinds of stuff. And, and look, we've been, uh, you know, on the receiving end of a lot of... Uh, of vitriol over the the millennia over the, the or, or over the last couple hundred years so we we know it when we see it now when white people get offended because we we say well you know that's kind of racist you know or 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 we we lay it all out there 
they take offense to it. Oh, why is everything got to be about race? Well, I got to tell you, because you guys are sitting in the in the white privilege spot. And you've created the systems that, that protect that privilege. Now, look, Don Cherry is going to have people surrounding him, just like Donald Trump. Doesn't matter how racist the thing he he says, he's going to have tons of you know um, white people supporting him. Every time somebody gets in, in the slightest bit of trouble for doing something really racist, somebody puts a GoFundMe uh, account together or uh, a campaign together, and they load these people up with money. They get rewarded for the racism, whether it's the woman who wouldn't, or, or bigotry, the woman who wouldn't marry the, the clerk who, who wouldn't uh, uh, do marriage licenses. Damn, she, you know, they, they, they did all kinds of GoFundMe pages and, and got her a ton of money. So not just for her defense, to live large. You know, the guy who uh, sliced over, you hear this one? The, the guy who sliced over, open the, the naked baby balloon of, of Trump down, down in Alabama. Oh, there's a big GoFundMe uh, you know, uh, campaign going on to, to throw money at that guy. And he said, damn, I'll do it again. You know, <laughs> look, there is, uh, there is such support for racism that even if you do something blatantly racist, you're going to, uh, these guys are going to be supportive. But if you do something that, that somebody says, oh, yeah, we're just trying to be overly political correct. Or, or, you know, political correctness run amok. That's the one we always hear every time we talk about the mascot issue or anything else. Look, I, I have no, look, I have no sympathy for Don Cherry. Look, he was, he was, he, he was clearly trying to express, and he does a sports show. I mean, his, his show is about hockey. So why is he going off on this whole tangent about poppies and and you people who want to live the benefits of Canada but won't pay a buck for a poppy for crying out loud? There was no there was no requirement for him to go get off on his political rant. He did so, and the fact that he's you know he's eighty five years old, he shouldn't have put off to pasture a long time ago anyway. <clears throat> so I, look, I, anybody who's crying about Don Cherry for crying out loud, you know, don't just don't. And and you know what it is it it is really time that people are are held accountable for so much of this uh, you know this rhetoric and and so much of this these words that may on its face may not seem to be hateful but any time that you can cast somebody else out as not just other I mean look I do it all the time I, I try to say that native people need to stand up for our our autonomy and our distinction you know and so, you know, I do it all the time, but I'm not trying to suggest that we need to do it because we're better than anybody else. I think the, the whole thing about understanding your history is to one thing, be proud of the fact that, you, that, that we as a people have been able to survive two centuries of genocide just, just at the hands of the Americans. Forget about what we went through with, with the Dutch and the French and the Spanish and everybody else. Germans, <laughs> all of them. But we should be proud of the fact that we have um, uh, that we have endured. Now, that's not to say that we haven't. Uh, there hasn't been a cost to it. Look, we we've lost plenty. Um, you know, there assimilation is a um, you know it's an infection, and we're all infected at some level. And so, when I talk about decolonization, you know, I, I and I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again decolonization isn't all of us being in one mass at the same place it's about trying to get on that path 
where we're, we're starting, where we begin the process of decolonization, or we are farther along perhaps in the process of decolonization. The idea of untangling ourselves from the systems of oppression. Now, I'm not saying we all need to be at the same place, nor am I critical of those who may be farther ahead uh, than I am perhaps, or the, the ones who are just, just starting off. I think we need to be more inclusive. We need to be more embracing of those who are who are willing to to at least begin a process of carving out our distinction and autonomy. And, and again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying it because I want to be a subset of Americans or a subset of Canadians. No, I just want to maintain who we are. I want to maintain an identity. Not even just, re- I mean, I'm, I think that I'm past the idea of reclaiming an identity, although there is some reclaiming that has to be done. So no, I'm not trying to, to launch us as a superior being. That's not, that's not really where I'm going here. And as I sit here and, and oftentimes can, can ramble on about a, about a subject, I don't want anybody to think that I think that I'm smarter or better than anybody else. But I will tell you, I think about these things a lot. And sometimes being um, wrestling with this stuff. And, and look, I've known people who have been involved in the resistance, as, as it could be called, for 30, 40 years. And it is tough to do this for a long period of time. And you can burn out. You can not only burn out, you can, be, you know... I, I, I guess you can lose your way in it all. You can become obsessed with it. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I recognize that there's that there are probably lots of conspiracy. I don't. I never buy into the grand conspiracy thing. I think there's, you know, I think human beings are too too faulty to ever pull off anything that's even close to a grand conspiracy. I think there's a lot of little conspiracies, <laughs> but I don't get obsessed w- with this stuff. I, I really don't. I and while. <clears throat> I am really, really concerned about what the future is going to hold for not just humanity. I mean, um, but I, I get, you know, I think the most vulnerable people are the, are the ones that, I, that I'm first and foremost concerned about. And of course, I'm concerned about the people who are closest to me, my people. Not because, you know, not because I get, again, my people are, are I think that, that are better, you know, or, or, or deserve more. Um, it's not. It's not about that. It's that these are the people that I care about. So I'm concerned about climate change. I'm concerned concerned about economic, you know, um, collapse. I'm concerned about social unrest. I mean, damn, Evo Morales, president of of, uh, of Bolivia for for over 14 years, and gone. Uh, uh, you know, taken out and essentially a coup backed by. Again, back by who? The United States, Canada. You you can draw the line, write down racial lines between between the whiter people and the darker people, the European mindset and the indigenous mindset. First indigenous uh, president, you know, in the world, basically, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, and uh, he represented the indigenous population of Bolivia. He, you know, he had some success, and and of course, you know, like with any um economies that are tied to the global economy he's he's had his his failures but um look it's easy to get it's easy to um get frustrated 
and and lose hope. But I guess it depends on what you're hoping for. I mean, I don't think that people should stop having children. I don't think we should get to that place where we say, oh, I don't want to bring another ch- a child into this terrible world. Look, I think that we all have a responsibility to try to improve things. You know, one of the reasons I talk about racism is to expose it and call it what it is. And why? In the hopes that we can eradicate it. Will it ever be ever? Will we ever completely eradicate it? No, probably not. There's always going to be certain biases that people have. But again, there's a difference between, you know, discrimination, prejudice, and racism. Racism isn't just about believing that you are superior. It's about creating a system that supports one group over another to ensure a certain superiority over people. If we can get rid of that, people can believe they're better than me all day long. I don't even believe it is one thing. But when you have the whole system skewed your way, when you have the the you know the white arbitrators, you have the white judges, you have the white lawyers, you have the you know the white legislators, you got the white president, you got all these people who are building a system that's going to ensure you know white privilege. Well, that's a problem that I have. I don't care. I mean, I mean personally, Donald Trump can believe he's better than me, and I don't that doesn't matter to me whatsoever. But if you've got all the power, you know, to you know to take me out. <laughs> I'm not really worried about Donald Trump taking me out. I mean, I don't want to sound paranoid here. But, I mean, I guess that's my whole point. We have got to confront this stuff. And, you know, and we got to stop looking the other way. I mean, I know a lot of Native people love hockey, and a lot of Native people probably love Don Cherry. And I got no use for it. I got no use for it. And, you know, look, if you're you're willing to um, look the other way on, on racism then you're complicit in it. And even if you're not white, you can be complicit in white privilege. You can you can help bolster that privilege that you yourself won't have. Uh, maybe you're hoping some you'll get a little bit of shine from it or something. I don't know. But this is we've got to confront this stuff. And I'm not saying we got to, you know, wage war. I mean this isn't this isn't a violent insurrection. You know, a lot of what I talk about is the stuff that we need to do. Um, we ne- we need to take care of some stuff internally. I mean, we we got to support each other. You know, when getting back to the whole you people thing, when I get people offering me constructive criticism, oftentimes you can hear the racial overtones in in the in the criticism. Ah, you sound too angry all the time. You say, you're you always too negative. Well, for one thing, I try to lighten lighten up even when I'm talking about some... I mean, I'm, I'm talking about death sometimes. I'm talking about child abuse. I'm talking about genocide. It's, it's you know, that's a little bit hard to, you know, to put too much, you know, levity to. But, but, I, but I try to. But I'm, but I'm also not not running around looking for the for the first person I can you know lash out at, no, you know, whether it's on the mic or whether it's in my life. I mean, if I come across as an angry person, well, well, here's the thing: there's some problems that are not properly addressed, and part of the, what I'm trying to do here, I'm not trying to make people feel good about themselves. I'm not trying to talk about forgiveness. I'm not even a big fan of the whole forgiveness thing. So no, 
you know, I know there's all kinds of religious stuff that that gets you know tied in with the whole idea of forgiveness. That is not my thing. Religion's not my thing. But you know what? I'm not. I'm not trying to give people a pass and say, "Oh, it's it's okay." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's okay. No, th- this stuff is not okay. Part of the reason that I do what I do here is not just to to shame and criti- criticize white people. No, that's not what I'm after here. I'm trying to empower our own people, but in the process, I might have to shame a few of them too. And not because I think I'm above it all. I mean, I think we all have have to, have to carry a certain amount of responsibility to the things that we have not given you know proper attention to. But by by telling some true history, so we don't fall into the whole thing. Oh, Abraham Lincoln was such a good guy. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He executed. You know, he signed the execution order for the Man- the the Code of Thirty Eight in Mankato, Minnesota. And no, George Washington, I don't care if they're teaching my five-year-old grandson that George Washington was a good guy. He wasn't. Now, is this about trying to be angry? I, I had one of my good friends from high school said, did you like any of these people? I said, well, I don't even know most of these people. All I'm saying is that if we're going to be taught all of these, these, these sweetness, uh, you know, details about somebody, we should know what they did that wasn't so sweet. We should know that, that Thomas Jefferson was the, the, the main president behind the, the removal, the trails of tears and all of that stuff. We should know that. So, to, so we don't get sucked into, into this idea about these guys being our heroes. They aren't our founding fathers. And you know what? Even to the extent, and I, look, we get, I get into it all the time. People want to say, well, the, uh, the Hyoenta belt is the, uh, you know, was the foundation of the U.S. Constitution. You know what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't necessarily buy into that. When, when Ben Franklin was trying to pitch the idea of, of forming, you know, um, a new nation out of 13 colonies. He said, how is it that six nations of ignorant savages could form a union that seems indissol- uh, indissolvable? Yeah, ignorant savages. That's what, that's what Thomas, uh, not Thomas, ben, this ben Franklin. That's, what, that's how he described us. And then people, and the crazy part is, our own people want to feel flattered by that. Yeah, but yeah, see, he he recognized that that we had a constitution, that we had this and we had that. Yeah, but he was calling us ignorant savages for crying out loud. And what he's saying is, how could ignorant savages do this when people who, when white men of English descent who have so much more to gain than a bunch of ignorant savages, how is it that we can't do what they what they've done? I mean, he's trying to shame his people by saying, look at these animals could do it. Why can't intelligent men do it? I don't know. Maybe if if our people want to consider those things as as backhanded compliments, I guess have at it. But I got to tell you, I don't I don't view it that way. <laughs> so when I when I hear you know the, the quotes from from Washington or Jefferson or Franklin or, or or any of them, all the way up through. I mean, including you know Reagan and even even some of the lip service being paid by by Barack Obama as he goes to 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 cannonball to celebrate Flag Day. 
saying, oh, we need, in, in the words of Sitting Bull, we, we need to build something for the future of, of the children. And what is it, what's the legacy of Obama's building something for the children of Lakota territory? The Dakota Access Pipeline. Yeah, thanks for that. So, look, the, uh, we, I could go through all 45 presidents, and, 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 it, and actually it is my plan to do that. You know, one day I'm going to, Spend the time and put you know put out a book uh, of run about run the guys, the town destroyers, all forty five of them, and I'll use their own words. I mean, I, I don't I won't even have to necessarily voice an opinion. I'll let their own words speak for themselves. But the reason I I think that that's important isn't just to criticize and and to and to create vitriol between native people and white people, but white people have to own that history. And if you deny it or you say, well, you know, you got to put stuff in the past. Never forget 9-11, but, but, but don't bring up uh, Sand Creek and don't bring up, uh, you know, Wounded Knee Massacre. Don't bring up the, um, the Dakota 38. Don't bring up residential schools. No, I'm going to continue to talk about the fact that, that there is, not just has been, but is an American genocide that continues. And I want to empower my own people and the people who are willing to at least listen and and question me on it as well but the people who are willing to listen to say yeah it's it's really something that we've that we survived this and that we still have a foundation to build ourselves upon look we're not yeah we're not talking about world domination here that was never our thing that's you know, white people have been talking about Alexander the Great. I mean, Julius Caesar. I mean, look, people have been talking about Hitler. I mean, world domination is not, that's not our thing. But neither is living under the boots of somebody either. So we're going to, we're going to continue. We're going to continue to um, bring our past forward and, and, and bring it into the future. And the only way we can bring our past forward is because, look, I can be very, very critical of, of Native people over the last seven generations who have, who, who some, we've lost land, we've lost language, we've lost all kinds of things. But you know what? We still hung on to enough that, that here I am doing what I'm doing here today. So I want to make sure that I put the context of the failings of, our, of uh, those last seven generations, I want to put it into context. And, and so people understand what it is that we've gone through. You people. Well, I'm not as concerned about you people. I'm more concerned about my people. Look, we're at the bottom of the hour, so uh, we'll take a break and we'll we'll come back with a little bit more. I do want to talk about some of the, the um, put a little finer point on what I think our strategies of the Seneca Nation could employ in their battle with the state going forward. Not saying they're going to take that advice, but I just want to throw it out there, uh, articulate it one last time. I don't want to drive it, uh, you know, kick a dead dog on this thing, but uh, um, we'll talk about it when we come back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Can make me 
just long for home And it's a crying shame Just yourself to blame Every morning when the sun comes up You stand in your cage like a little pup You wait for the man to turn the key You step outside to greet I raise a wife It's a crying shame Splashing on that concrete ground It's a dangerous game They cry for their own pain A razor wide pain Watch it gleam on that sunny day Attempting you to try beyond your way You try to swagger like you don't care But you're always under that wire's glare Raise a wire It's a scary Kane, this is Let's Talk Native. I, I want to thank our sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses for supporting what I do here. I also want to thank Eric White and ERW Enterprises and my good friends at Grand River Enterprises and uh, Native Wholesale Supply for, again, these are the, the main sponsors that allow me to do this every single week, uh, make my trips to New York to do my show in New York City, which I will be back, by the way. I got to mention that now before I forget. Um, this Thursday, I will be back in New York. The first time I will be back in New York to do a show in, uh, in, 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 a, in a month now because of some of the debacle that's been taking place, uh, down at WBAI in New York City. So I will be on Thursday. Um, 
I think I'm on for two hours. I think I'm on for three to five, but at very, I know I'm on for four to five, but I think I'm on for, uh, from three to five on Thursday, uh, in, in New York City on WBAI. You can listen to us on WBAI.org. Of course, we will stream that show live on our Facebook, uh, group pages. And, um, and of course, we'll put it up as a podcast and a YouTube video afterwards as well. Um, but again, I couldn't do all this stuff if I didn't have, you know, some dedicated sponsors who do something either every week or every month to make sure, you know, a reliable, uh, stream of revenue that allows us to do what we're doing here. And, you know, and re- even, even now, Jake and I are going through, uh, products and we're trying, we, we we've got the plans to do, um, uh, some more, um, not only YouTube videos, but, um, looking at trying to do a full length documentary. So we're trying to do everything we can with the resources that we have here and expanding some of those resources so we can do more. So, uh, again, couldn't do it without the the support that I get. And, of course, there are a few other people who, who from time to time, help out. I mean, I've had everything from transportation problems to, uh, you know, a couple of big buys that I've had to do. And and it's easy for me to go back to, you know, um, to RJE or uh, ERW or, you know, or, or Grand River Enterprises or, or some places where, um, you know, try to always go back to that well. But I usually try to reach out to other people. And a few people step up when, um, when I really need it. So I appreciate that. I also appreciate all, all of you who... Um, who share the shows um we crossed over to uh to over 500 subscribers on our um our youtube channel so i i put a call out said hey, we're one away and, and and now i think we're like 508 or 509 uh subscribers uh we're still away from fi- from a thousand but we're getting there uh on my um facebook uh let's talk native facebook group page i think we're only about 20 people away from cracking 7,500 on the membership there. So, you know, we, we continue to grow this thing out. We lose a few people from time to time, whether they, you know, bail on Facebook and can't blame me if you do. Um, but we lose a few people, but we seem to be growing this thing out. And, and every week our numbers go up a little bit higher. We are far from an internet sensation, but that's not what we're really trying to do. Like, as I was saying before the break, I want people to understand some of this, this real history the true history, understand what historically we as a people have, have endured and survived. But I also think it's important that white people realize that if, if we throw a little shade at you, <laughs> there's a reason for that. There's a history here. And if you want us to respect you, you've got to earn that respect because historically, yeah, you haven't done a very good job with it. So if you're wondering why people of color, you know, maybe... Uh, don't hold white people in the highest regard well you still got guys like don cherry calling you know referring to us as you people we you still have you know people going in blackface justin trudeau i mean you know people on the u.s side you, you, we we see this you're still mocking us at football games for crying out loud so now we we still have some some animosity not just from the historical past Every day we experience it. We've got the New York State still trying to squeeze a billion, another billion dollars out of the Seneca Nation. And there's my segue. <laughs> so let me get to it. You know, I did the last show. I kind of explained that, that a judge um, refused to vacate the arbitration uh, ruling, you know, that would, you know, essentially uh, uh, try to force the, the Seneca Nation into continuing to pay uh, a revenue sharing payment. Um, and force them to pay it. So it's not really sharing. Now we're saying, no, you have to make this payment. And you're and you're going to make it because we're claiming we're giving you something and we're charging you a billion dollars through 2023 for it. So again, it's it's a terribly oppressive situation. Um 
but I think there are some options. I mean, and so the way the, the governor's office and others have tried to characterize this judge's ruling is that the judge said the Senecas have to pay. Well, he didn't exactly say that. He refused to vacate the order, and he did affirm or confirm the award that the arbitration panel had set. Eh, I guess you could say that he's saying the Senecas have got to pay it. But I think there are th- essentially three options not to pay. And, of course, the other option is to just to pay, put your tail between your legs and pay it, and then, um, you know, d- deny your people a billion dollars worth of gaming revenue. And that's entirely possible. You know, that that may be the realistic choice that the Seneca Nation uh, adopts. So I don't say realistic, but, the, I mean, it, it might be the, the path they take. And I guarantee you, their white lawyers <laughs> are going to say, just pay it. Because you know what? That's what they were saying all along anyway. They never really had what I would say is um, a full commitment from their own legal counsel to fight this in the way that it should have been. And if they did, then they really suck at it. But here's the thing. There are some options left. For one thing, the Seneca Nation went into federal court asking something that was a pretty heavy lift. They asked the the judge to vacate um, an arbitration ruling that under the terms of the compact that Seneca's entered into with New York State, they couldn't do. There's no provision in the compact that says, if you don't get a ruling you like, you can go to federal court and and have it overturned. It was non-appealable, according to what the Seneca Nation entered into with New York State. And of course, that's what the judge said. The judge says, well, you know, you guys agreed to this. This is the process. You're asking me to do something that's outside the process that you agreed to. Uh, I won't do that. So, um, what what process was there beyond arbitration? Well, there is another part of it. I mean, if the Senecas didn't pay, in spite of the arbitration ruling, then the state would have to bring the Senecas, or, or the, the state had the option to try to force them to pay by bringing them into federal court. Not the Senecas bring, bringing the state in, but the, but the state bringing the Senecas into, again, the Western District of New York uh, federal court. So if the Senecas don't pay, if they continue to set that money aside and say, no, we're not, we're not paying. And the state says, well, we're going to force you. We're, now we're going to use the terms of the compact, enter the Western District of New York, and try to bring an action to force you to pay. Well, here's the problem with that for the state. The arbitration order uh, ruling used language in there that suggested, and I talked about this on the last show, they said, well, if the Senecas don't pay, yeah, sure, there's ambiguity. Sure, there's there's no language that talks about payment past 14 years, but it's obvious if they don't pay, then they'd be getting something for nothing. The idea that the that these two white arbitrators said that and, and put it in the ruling should open the door if when they go into federal court to force the Senecas to pay, the Senecas say, well, we want to discuss what the arbitration ruling said. They said we're getting something for nothing. Well, let's talk about that something. Because this is what the Senecas have never been able to, to really battle out. Uh, they did a little bit when they, when they withhold held payments you know, back uh, prior to 20, uh, 2013, uh, when they held $600 million from uh, an escrow account because, the, because the state was basically taking market share away from them. And they and they essentially punished the state to the tune of uh, two hundred million dollars, but then went on continuing to pay. Why? Because as far as the Senate was concerned, they only had to pay through, you know, a, a couple more years. They knew they were done in a couple of years, so well, we'll, we'll pay through there, and then we'll uh, then we're done with this thing altogether. Well, 
they never really got into the into the real mud on this thing to say let's let's be clear here we paid you a billion and a half of dollars over the first 14 years of of our existence here as a gaming company and we didn't get anything near that value from you and now that you're forcing us trying to force us to to pay for the, through 2023 there's no question that this is now no longer sharing this is imposing a fee this is a tax and that's illegal so if the uh, you know so we that's part of the the idea of being dragged into federal court um to to expose that and but the main thing is to say in order for this to to not be a tax the state has to prove that what they're providing the seneca nation is worth another billion dollars in fact, you try to make them make a proof that what they got already was worth a billion and a half that they already received, which would have been, by the way, <laughs> over a billion and a half. It would have been a billion, you know, uh, one point six, almost one point seven billion, um, if the Senecas hadn't kept two hundred million dollars from the last dispute they had with the uh, with the state. I mean, consider that. Uh, so they could just simply not pay, and. And then battle out in, in federal court. Look, I know we don't do very well in their court system, but it is it, it is an option, and it's it's certainly um, could create the opportunity for the first time to really lay all the cards on the table. Because look, there's federal law here involved. <clears throat> the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act is supposed to be the foundational law for the state. I'm not even saying it's a, it's ours, but for for the state. They are bound by their federal law. And federal law prohibits um, taxation of, of native gaming. Revenue sharing can only exist if the state concedes, uh, provides a concession that is substantial and quantifiable. Well, then make them quantify it. And it's really that simple. And, and it shouldn't be an unreasonable request. If, a, if the state drags the Senecas into court, saying they want them to pay them a billion dollars through 2023, it is perfectly reasonable for the Senecas to say, okay, but if we pay that, it's supposed to be based on something that you're providing that is equitable to the billion that you're, at, that you're trying to squeeze from us. So quantify it. Quantify what you're calling this exclusivity and, and l- let's see some industry experts suggest that you're giving me something that's, that's, that's worth over a billion dollars. So that's one option. The other option is to go back to arbitration. It would be with the same arbitrators. It wouldn't be with the same judges. But escrow the uh, money and say, look, we can no longer, um, this isn't just a breach of the compact. What we're doing here with this, this revenue sharing, now that you're imposing it upon us, is a breach of the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. So we we can't pay this. We can't pay this because it's it's against the law, and they could take that into arbitration, and they could and they could try to get some uh, hopefully some better judges that would say okay let, let's look at what the what the federal statute is if you're if you're claiming that this is not just a breach of the compact but that that it's a breach of of the uh, a federal law then let's try to get a tribunal to look at that so they could do that now both these things would buy time for the Seneca Nation to do 
what what has been very difficult to do, which is make the Bureau of Indian Affairs or the Interior Department do their freaking job, which is to assess whether this revenue sharing is legal or not. They are the ones, you know, who who can, uh, you know, they're the agency charged with making sure that the states don't violate the the federal statute, Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, but they don't do it. And they're not just screwing the Senecas here. The, the Bureau of Indian Affairs has been derelict in Oklahoma. They've been derelict in New Mexico. They've been derelict in every place that, that native gaming exists, where the states have been, been trying to squeeze them. So the Senecas have an opportunity to not only drag this thing out with, you know, if not win in federal court, but drag it out in federal court. If not win in, a, in another arbitration battle, drag it out. And, and, and all the while, be pressing, and maybe who knows? You get through into, into another administration, maybe uh, you know a, a new presidential administration with a new interior department. You could finally get some people to get off their asses and do their freaking jobs. But we, you know, there should be an effort to collaborate with with the the gaming uh, uh, operations, the native gaming operations in Oklahoma and and New Mexico. These are the the ones that have been in the news lately. And there's got to be more work. You know, work with the. Um, um, a National Indian Gaming Association, NIGA, and Ernie Stevens and those bunch. Let's put together a full court blitz. Not just, you know, hiring a couple of lawyers that, that are going to guide you through this thing. Do a full court blitz n- nationally and, a, and, and drive something home with the Interior Department and the Bureau of Indian Affairs and say, do your goddamn job. Now, and the problem is the alternative is to not do any of this stuff and just pay. And just put your head down and take it. And and, and again, I, I can't, it's not sustainable. As it is, that right now, the Seneca Nation, because they've been putting this money aside, they haven't spent this money. They've been, they've been trying to tighten the belt here. Look, in spite of the success of gaming, the Seneca Nation has gone through periods of, of, of dramatic austerity. I mean, a third of their population still lives below the poverty level here. And, and, and I know everything, oh, yeah, they're all living large. They're all just rich, uh, you know, living rich off of casinos. No, the state is getting a windfall off this gaming. The rest of this is, I mean, the rest of is the Seneca Nation trying to provide some basic services. Housing. I mean, for any of you who, who haven't paid attention over the last, you know, 100 years, the housing that Native people have been forced to live into has sucked. So the the fact that the Seneca Nation is finally do, being able to be in a position to do more for their people, and that is now going to have to be sacrificed. So not only will you know uh, annuity checks quite possibly have to be reduced, but services will have to be reduced, or the Seneca Nation is going to have to take on more debt. None of those three things are acceptable if you're paying off the state a billion, another billion dollars through 2023. It's 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 absurd. So, you know, I I just hope. I I don't have a great deal of confidence, but I hope that the, that there's enough people with fight in them. On on both the Seneca Nation Council and the and the executives, that they that if they can't find lawyers who are willing to to jump into this fight the way they need to jump into it, not the way they've done it, but do it in in earnest, then get rid of them. 
because frankly, they haven't been that good anyway. So, I mean, I I, I just wanted to put, uh, there are strategies, uh, you know, that could be employed here. They could either not pay, let the state try to drag them in the federal court. They could go back into arbitration and they could use the terms of the compact to fight what is now an illegal um, taxation in, under the guise of revenue sharing and, and, and use, use the, uh, the system that you agreed to in the compact. But fight it that way. And all the while, try to get the Interior Department to do their, do their goddamn job. Those are the, I mean, you could actually do all three. In fact, you know, who knows? You, you, uh, if you went into arbitration, you may find yourself with, with the state trying to drag you into federal court. But you know what? If you lose, there's, I'm, I'm not saying we should ever hope to lose, or nor should we ever plan to lose. But you know what? Every time we concede, look, even back in 2013, when the Seneca Nation said, we're going to keep $200 million of the, of the $600 million that we held in escrow, you still gave the state $400 freaking million. And you agreed to continue to pay it 25%, even though you took a third of the money. You didn't, you didn't cut the percentage down a third. So every time we, we make these concessions... It makes it harder to fight them later on. If you just go ahead and pay this, what makes you think you're going to be in a better position in 2023 when it's time to re- renegotiate? And I hear some I hear some of the noise that's coming out of l- the legal counsel for the Seneca Nation. They're saying, you know, we should uh, we should get a situation where we no longer have to renew a compact, where it's perpetual. Let's work out the agreement and we'll just do this forever. That's what the Senate or that's what the Oneidas did. That's what the Mohawks did. They don't have to renegotiate. So yeah, they took any opportunity to challenge the uh, you know the parameters of their compact off the table. And and you got to you're saying you're worried because that's that's what's really at play here. Look, the the 800 pound gorilla in the room is whether by standing up to the state, the state says, "I'm not going to negotiate a compact with you." That's why they didn't they didn't take it head on and directly on even when when they went through this renewal period. I mean, it would have been really easy for the Seneca Nation or or the state to say, you know what, um, uh, we've got a little bit of a language problem here. You know, as far as we're concerned, we don't pay you after this uh, during this next uh, seven years. I mean, the state could have raised the question, and the reason they didn't, they thought they everybody just thought it could smooth right over. Seneca thought we'll just go through and just not pay them. Because the language supports uh, supports our position. And the state says, we're not going to raise the fact. We know that the language is faulty, but we're not even going to bring it up. We're going to hope the Native people don't notice that they just keep paying. And if we have to, we'll, you know, we'll stack the arbitration panel and we'll get them to rule in our favor, which is exactly what they did. So there, there are options. And, and I think the Seneca people have to realize that there are options. And, and again... There's risk fighting the state, but there's also risk in continuing because, like I said, if you pay them for the next seven years, what makes you think you're, you're going to be in a better position when it's time to renegotiate a compact in 2023? I guarantee the same legal counsel that's going to tell you to pay, go ahead and pay right now, are, are going to tell you continue to pay. You know, so, so who's making the decisions here? Are they Seneca Nation executives or are they Seneca Nation lawyers? white guys 
that's I guess that's where we have to come back to. So so I again I just want to throw that out there. I realize I've done two shows in a row on this and you know talked about this issue, but it is it's kind of a big deal. I mean and it's not just a big deal because because a lot of my friends and neighbors stand stand a chance of losing some of their 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 annuities which are now a monthly payment. It's not just that. What the Seneca Nation has done has impacted every every other native territory. You, you know, do you know why Oklahoma's trying to push the uh, um, the revenue sharing up to twenty five percent? Because that's what New York State gets. You know, you know why they they squeezed the Oneidas who weren't paying anything up to twenty five percent? Because that's what the state was getting out of uh, out of uh, Seneca territory. There has to be there has to be resistance, otherwise. We, we just keep being beat up by these people. And you know what? And getting back to the idea that we could lose again in federal court, or you could lose again in arbitration, or you could you know fail to ever get the Interior Department to do their damn job. Then this is the other place that we, we need to continue to fight this thing in the court of public opinion. People have to know the truth here. And, you know, shame you know, can be a powerful tool. If, if you, if you're good enough at it to say, look, this is the injustice that our people are still going through. So when I talk about genocide, I'm not just talking about Sand Creek massacre and wounded massacre. I'm talking about the oppression that we still experience every freaking day. The throughway issue. The fact that we have really, really crappy um, infrastructure for, uh, for, you know, for our utilities here in terms of electricity. The fact that, uh, uh, you know, even the, even the way the news covers issues, I mean, I mean, when we talk about racism being institutional or systemic, it's systemic because of the institutions. That includes the media. That includes government. That includes law enforcement. We are so afraid to, to to draw a line in the sand. We still get caught into the language of whether the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation is in Erie County, Chautauqua County, or Cattaraugus County, or which sections are in which county. Instead of saying, no, no, it's not in a state county. Our land is not a part of their, uh, their counties. They're not, uh, our land is not a part of their towns. We're afraid to say that. And 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 why is it we won't even we haven't even gone through the process of 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 changing our addresses? I mean, so we can say the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. No, we we're, we're going to put Perrysburg, or we're going to put Brant, or we're going to put Gowanda or Irving. Why? I I mean, my my buddy Matt, he made um, uh, the Seneca Nation redact all references to the to the uh, towns counties and state on the deed for his property i mean it'd be it'd be greater if they just printed it without without it being blacked out <laughs> but but it, i mean, why is that such a heavy lift why would i mean in, in a in a world where gps coordinates can define you know a, a property boundary why the hell do we need to to i mean if you say that a, a piece of property that lies on the Cattaraugus territory of Seneca Nation. Why do you have to say town of Brant, county of Erie, state of New York? Why do any of those three things have to show up on a, on a Seneca Nation deed? And you know what, Senecas? Look at your deeds. Unless your name is Matt Hill, <laughs> your deed has all three of those things on it.
and that sucks because it's unnecessary. It's And why do we do it? Because we've been doing it. So we do these things. We get accustomed to complying even with stuff that's not imposed upon us. We do it anyway. And so then when we, when we, fit, when we get to a place in the road where we have something that we definitely need to fight against, we don't feel empowered to do it. There's, there's no question that the Seneca Nation should be should stand up to New York State. But I'll tell you, and and I know people are going to say, yeah, well, we've, we've tried that and we haven't, done, we haven't been very successful. Well, I'll tell you, the reason you haven't been very successful is because your lawyers suck. They just won't, they won't hold, you know, hold the line where they should. They aren't raising the issues that they should. They think that they, you know, they understand that law enough. We only have to do this to, to make our case. No, we have to, we have to go way beyond what what is the nominal level of proof to win win a case. We have to go above and beyond what white people have to do. They should have the higher standard, but it's us that have to go through the higher standard. We have to do more than they do because the system is geared towards them. The system favors them. The newspaper favors them. The the TV network favor, favor them. I mean, it's we we hear it all the time. I mean, I was just listening to a, a, a show on NPR just the other day, and they had this guy who wrote this book about nationalism. And when the host said, "When when the colonists were here, they said, well, there there were indigenous nations here." He goes, "Oh no, they were just tribes." That's literally what the guy said. And you know, I applaud the host for bringing it up in the first place, but she stopped right there. I mean, she, she wasn't going to come out and, and, and basically tell the guy he was racist. Because as far as he's concerned, nationalism was a white thing that they need, that, you know, that got created with colonism, uh, with, with colonization. And that's on NPR. <laughs> so you forget about what we're going to hear on Fox News. Look, I know uh, a lot of stuff happening in the world. A lot of stuff happening at, at the you know in the United States um, that we have nothing to do with, but we have we do have our own battles that we need to fight, and we should not lay down for them. We just shouldn't. No, we shouldn't do it. Not even for you people. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Nave. I want to thank you for listening. Uh, see you in uh, New York on Thursday, and we'll be back here on Saturday. Yahweh. yourself to blame Every morning when the sun comes up You stand in your cage like a little pup You wait for the man to turn the key You step outside to greet